Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is going to increase rates by 50 basis points. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and he is Strawman. The Strawman himself, the founder of Strawman.com and its managing director. He is, of course, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much, sir. Some interesting big news. You are going to star in an upcoming episode of The Good Oil, our other I podcast have. where you get to talk about you for a bit without me butting in too much. My, my favourite topic. <laughs> Enough about me. What do you think about me? We are going to delve into the Strawman story. So if you're interested in what Andrew's been doing thus far, of course we know a Strawman is what again, Andrew? It's an online private investment club. That's right. Uh, and we don't, we don't make too much of a joke about that, although I think I mentioned it once. Uh, but it's a fascinating story of entrepreneurship and the growth, the design of a new business. Uh, what is required to become an entrepreneur, um, the mindset, some of the hurdles, the obstacles, the challenges. It is a fantastic chat. We've pre-recorded it, so that's why I know how good it's going to be. I'm not <laughs> sure when it's going to hit the podcast machine, but make sure you subscribe to the Good Oil podcast so you can hear Andrew talking lots of great detail about the journey he's been on, which I found fascinating and I know you will too. So, mate, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate very, it. Very nice of you to say and uh, I, I, I hope that you have better luck in attracting higher quality guests. <laughs> mate, if you've got a, only a small barrel, get to the bottom very quickly. No, I'm kidding. It was a, it was a real... No, Seriously, great conversation, mate. It's, you and I have known each other for years. We chat every week on this podcast, but just kind of, you know, it's there's something about the interview format. You know, like I know all about straw man. I know what you're doing. I know how it works. We talked about it on on, on and off off air, of course. And but kind of having a chance just to sit down forty five minutes, like just like, take me through this. Um, mm. it, it's a format that actually is a really nice format. I'm not sure people should necessarily do it with their friends all the time, uh, but it was, it was just great to kind of dig into an issue where it's like we're going to do this one thing. And I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to have a think about it, and you're just going to, I'm going to find out some answers. That was a really, really good thing to do. So I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, me too, mate. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> That's always important, um, mate. Tell me uh, about interest rates because we have. It was a really big week this week for rates. In some, well, for a week where rates didn't move, a lot went on. Um, this week the RBA kept rates on hold. But Again. they changed their words, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. We also had the US Fed effectively now saying on Wednesday night our time, yep, rates are going up, and they're probably going to increase by 50 basis points, half a percent in one fell swoop at the next meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are two really meaningful bits of stuff that impact markets, and we talk about why they impact markets. Um, I'm going to do a half rant, half question, half comment. We'll start with the RBA. Uh, I find the RBA's need... Uh, self-imposed need, market asked, requested need, maybe politically necessary need to give these kind of half nods with vague wording changes to kind of maybe possibly tell the market what it might maybe think about doing at some point between now and forever. You know, the whole wording change of like the RBA is prepared to be patient and they stop using that phrase. We go, oh, so that must mean, actually, what does that mean? I don't know. What does it mean? Yeah, but it could just look, literally Alan Carla said that, isn't it? It's, it's not so much about what they say, but oh. what they don't say as, as well, you know? It is kind of, it's weird. And there, Gosh, and there are people out there it. who literally put both documents, last year's and last month's and this month's in a, in a word, and use that comparison tool and see, you know, highlight the changed wording and what paragraphs have been put in and taken out. And it's, it drives me nuts, mate. Like, I don't mind the RBA explaining what they're doing. I don't even mind them necessarily telling the market what they're thinking, but at least be clear. Like, yeah, when when they it's like the Fed with their dot plots of what they're expecting to do in the future. By the time you've done that, you've pretty much told the market what you're doing, so you've taken away the element of surprise anyway. 
Mm. So it's kind of if you then if you don't do it, it's a problem. This whole bluff and double bluff and uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Not there's anything untoward about it. Just this stupid process of having to feel like you need to tell the markets what to expect. It's like these guys are grown up boys and girls. They're getting paid very, very large six and seven figure salaries to work out how to manage their money. I just don't understand why the RBA thinks it's under some obligation to pander to the financial markets with these statements where they vaguely change the words, nod, wink, maybe possibly take out, be patient, put in, be patient, take out the pandemic in the present tense, talk about it in the past tense, and that means something. I don't know, mate. I'm just getting old and cranky. I know I like a rant, as do you. But <laughs> I, it just yeah. it feels to me like they're, they're listening to the wrong people. Uh, they, yeah, potentially. Uh, it, it's really help, tricky. Try to pay attention to the wrong people. Help the wrong people. They're kind of, I, you know... There's a little bit of sympathy because, on one hand, you know, people say we just we you've got to make these really important decisions, mm. and we'd love to know what's informing those decisions, what your expectations are for the future. And go, yeah, it seems reasonable. I'll do that. Yeah, and then people start to go, hey, wait a sec, did you say that last time? And you didn't. Oh, <laughs> no. maybe did. And so then they become hyper aware of what, oh. and so it becomes this, as you say, bluff and double bluff. So I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you avoid it. Um, yeah. you know. I think I do think we've got to stop treating these things as so much of this commentary as fact because mm. then people get really mm. upset. Hey, wait a sec, you said this and now you're saying that. And it's like, yeah, because the future unfolds in unpredictable ways as it always yeah. has and always will. You know, so yeah. don't don't get up don't get upset about that. That's I don't know what what reality you want to live in where that is well, you know, maybe it would be a nice reality to live in, but guess yeah. what? It's not going it's not going to happen. So, yeah, it's it's all it's all a little bit Crazy. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do wonder. What do you? What do you reckon about this? This is. Let's 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 delve to the conspiracy side of things for a little oh, bit. Oh no! The the Very RBA is, uh, is is meant to be apolitical, right? Yeah. So it's an independent body. Yeah. How much? How much of a factor do you think the upcoming election <sighs> is on their thinking? Such a good question. I have been asked this in various forums recently. I. God, I don't know. The hard part is the governor is appointed by the government of the day. And so you're inclined to think that the government of the day would choose someone who was a, some version of a fellow traveller or something when it comes to the way they think about the stuff. So I'm inclined to think that probably um, it's, one of those, it's one of those stories where I, I think they probably do take into account the political realities of the day. I am. I would bet a large amount of money that they don't. They aren't trying to be political. They think they probably go out of the way to be apolitical, and that probably means the election is a no go because no matter what they do, someone's going to accuse them of something. So right now you got people saying, "Oh, they're just holding off on the rate rises to help the Morrison government." And if they done it during the election campaign, as they did with John Howard in two thousand and seven, oh, they're just trying to help the Labor opposition. They kind of can't win, right? Because if you do something, you're accused of doing something. If you don't do something, you're accused of not doing it um, for political reasons. So there is no there is no way to win this one. I would say mm. of all of the of all the players in politics and economics, I think they're probably about as straight shooters you can get. I, I, I would, mm. if I was going to speculate, mate, I would say they're trying to stay away from the election campaign to avoid doing something in the middle of it and being blamed for doing something. Um, but that's that's not that's not yes potentially, but that's. Uh, th- that's concerning because, I agree. again, 
they, they are meant to be Screw apolitical. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm sure they're overtly aware of it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. my my encouragement yeah. would be don't worry about it. If you feel as though we need to raise, then you should raise regardless yeah. of that, without fear or favour. Yeah. And um, I think the question is need, right? So I my speculation, they didn't know seven. They, they have form. So I think, I think it's reasonable to assume they would do what they felt like they needed to do if it was necessary. Mm. I also think, though, if you're weighing up the 51-49 decision, you're probably going to say, let's just give it some time. And it's probably subconscious as much as conscious, right? And I might, I might be, I might be verbaling these guys massively. Right? They might be like, you know what, you know, what? we're absolutely going to do it. If we think we need to do it, maybe we'll do it. Bugger, who cares? We're all, we're, we're going to do it. Um, for all I know, so I don't really know for sure. Um, it's just one of those, it's one of those tough ones where you just got to, um, you just got to think through what the likely implications are of an increase of uh, of rates. Um, what I found frustrating, mate, in the in the commentary this time actually was the the mention of inflation the first time around. And then they go back to, well, it's inflation, but it's also wages. Not they haven't said wages before, but they kind of said, look, we're waiting until inflation gets between 2 and 3%. We think there's going to be wage increases before we get there. So that's what's going to happen. And that was, they didn't say we need wages to be there as well. They just said it's probably going to take wages to do it. Hmm. Then when inflation gets there without wages, they say, okay, it's there, but wages still aren't high enough to keep it there. And so it's another. Yeah. It feels like it feels like a bit of a moving feast. I got to say, and I find that yeah. a little bit frustrating. Um, again, they are the experts. They know more about central bank policy than I do, so I'm not going to suggest that I know better or that they're wrong. Um, I do. I, I wonder whether there's a bit of kind of like we really didn't want to. We really still don't want to, and so we're not going to. We're going to kind of just massage the reasons why slash excuses to get them mm. there. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I, I also think it's sort of like, you know, we know unemployment is is really low. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of indicators that suggest that, you know, it's always complicated, but, yep. you know, the economy seems in pretty good shape. That's and we're at emergency levels. Yeah. Like, so that's my issue, right? My issue, and I think they've moved too late. So you, yeah. you, your, question, your question is, anytime you move rates, you are going to change the economic circumstances, right, by definition. Mm. And it's in the moment, in the given month, it's always about the increase rather than the absolute size. We got used to X. It's now X plus something. And the plus something is the moving, is the moving part. I think they should have been at one, one and a half percent by now, really honestly, which I know is super, super um, controversial. I don't think they probably can do it without the rest of the world doing it. So you kind of got this kind of, it's a bit of a, um, uh, you know, a Mexican standoff of like, well, you're not going to go, so I'm not going to go. But if you don't go, I can't go because if I go and you don't go, then I'm too expensive. It's almost like I used to work in the baked beans business. This is, trust me, this is an analogy. And Heinz used to put the price of baked beans up. SPC would never, ever, ever, ever lead first on pricing. Because they mm. felt like they were so like we, we assume we didn't know there was no there was no collusion. Let me be very clear, um, but they never went first, mm. and we assumed that it was they felt like they couldn't be too expensive relative to Heinz, or people wouldn't buy SPC baked beans. Mm. So Heinz would have to go first. But if Heinz went first and SPC didn't follow, then Heinz would be too expensive relative to SPC. Mm. And so you got this Mexican standoff where no one would do it. Now, as soon as Heinz did it, more often than not, I think it was every time, SBC would follow soon after. Or, or you could almost imagine the conversation like, oh, thank God they increased prices. So we were really feeling the pinch. We just didn't feel like we could go first. Mm. And so you think, so this is back to interest rates. Um, if we went to 1% with the US Fed at zero, it would screw, th- you, you, you almost couldn't do it. If the rest of the world said we're keeping rates low and the RBS said, nah, bugger it, we're going. It, it, does, it does cause economic impacts. And so there is some idea of, we're all, you know, we're, 
was it? We're living together or dying apart, whatever that, whatever that phrase is. Um, uh, you know, we all, we either hang together, or we hang separately. Um, mm. So it's it's a really it's a really big kind of multinational challenge when you've got such a globalized system. And I don't yeah. know what the answer is, but I do think to some degree the the I absolutely think they should have been at 1% by now, globally, right? Rates were too low for too long, have been, created too much easy money, created too much problem. They did the right things during COVID to cut rates. But again, the rates the rates should have been 1% now, not because they should have been an increase over the last six months to 1%. Pre-COVID, mm. they should have been there. And this is, I think we'll look back and say central banks were so desperately scared of the next recession, they created it by mm. having easy money for too long. And I yeah. think that'll, I, I, I have no special powers of, of foresight. I'm pretty sure will look back and go, they thought they were helping us. Uh, you know, you give the patient too much morphine, you end up killing them trying to, trying to help them. Um, mm. I, I, I have a suspicion, a fear that that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I think, I think it really needs to be put in the context of uh, these are relative sort of considerations. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, does putting interest rates up hurt? Yeah, of course it yeah. does. I mean- but that's not the question. Is is like what's least painful? Yes. So, you know, exactly. on one on one hand, for <laughs> yeah. anyone out there with any debt and a mortgage out yeah. there, you'd say, wouldn't it be great if they actually went from point one to zero? Like yeah. that'd be great, wouldn't yeah. it? And it's like, well, yes, your your interest bills would come down a little bit, <laughs> but then we have all these potentially yeah. massive inflationary. Like it, it's going to hurt more. Yeah. So it's so this is this is the struggle with yeah. with all of these kinds of things. I it, it's I there seems to be some fantasy out there that. Mm-hmm. One path leads to this great prosperity and the other leads to economic rack and ruin. And it's just like, well, it's actually usually that's not the decision. Usually yeah. it's kind of like, you know, that's bad and that's kind of a bit less bad and yeah. or that's good and that's like less good. These, these, are, these are the sort of relative considerations that need to be made. And to your point, mm-hmm. sort of in trying to – in trying to pretend that we can sort of have our cake and eat it too, all we do is sow the seeds of the next, the next uh, crash, recession, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's the problem, right? It's it's the thing I want now versus the thing I want later. Uh, that that last drink, uh, I feel like a drink. I, I think it's a good idea. I should have that last drink. I, I feel like a drink. And yes, I obviously in the morning, like, oh, you know what? Probably probably didn't need to do it. Um, it is the hangover, literally and metaphorically, that um that that is problematic. I think, you know, yeah, giving up yep. at the right time is is smarter than than pushing through and assuming everything's going to be okay, mate. Speaking of which, and this is where I guess we have the flip side is. If you don't do enough soon enough, you get to the situation the US is in. And I will say to some degree, this is supply push inflation rather than demand pull. Um, we can define those terms in a minute if we want to, but um, they're going to increase rates by probably 50 basis points. And they're talking about a 1% increase in total within three meetings of the US mm. Fed. So effectively 150 and 225s from not much to a lot more. And look, 1% when you're already at 15 is not much. An extra, you know, 15 to 16 is not a big deal. When you're at a couple, you go to three or four. Um, you've got increases of 50%, 100% very, 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 very quickly. The interest bill goes up, of course, by the same rate. All that stuff is happening. They've got a worse inflation problem than we've got, so they are needing to move more quickly. But uh, I do wonder, a little bit like COVID, dare I, dare I mention it, where we saw the US or the UK, sorry, struggle with Omicron. We're like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Like, Oops, it's here. We had four weeks lead time and did nothing, right? Um, whether we should or not, different question, different conversation. But- we're seeing the US and the UK struggle with high inflation right now. We haven't got any right here at home. And I'm kind of like, if we're really lucky, and the ABA is really lucky, we skate through. We go, oh, thank God. Or in a month, two times, three months, where inflation is 5.5%, we're like, gee, it would have been nice to put rates up in April or March mm. or February, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, the US well, is going to have to Where do, where do we shops. get most of our stuff from? 
We well, don't make it. We don't this is make the, it. This is the problem. You know? and, and How do, we, how saying, do we avoid it? Well, those, those who know. So here's the here's where, and this is why I always struggle, right? Because we're not experts in inflation or microeconomics or macroeconomics. We're investors by by trade. Armchair experts. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? So there's, <laughs> there's serious, sensible people saying the things that are driving price in the US aren't problems here at home, mm. and so we won't have the same issues. And I don't know whether that's right or not, and we can't know. You know, wage growth is higher in the US than here. It just happens to be true. Energy prices, believe it or not, are going up faster in the US than here. Happens to be true. Um, so if those things remain, you know, stateside, as the cool kids say, stay in the US and don't get exported here because there are genuinely national differences, then we're silly to say, well, let's jump at shadows. On the other hand, pinch of prevention is better than a pound of cure. And so a couple of rate rises in February and March or April or May might actually be exactly what we need just to make sure that whatever kind of breakout inflation risks we're facing don't become big, big, unassailable or, or, or difficult to, to kill problems. The US Fed's increasing rates by one. Imagine rates go up here by 1% in three months if we got to that situation. Mm. Um, no one wants it. Can we avoid it by putting rates up now sooner? I guess. Mm. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> do you want to do you want to open another Pandora's box? I really, really um, don't, but I fear you're going to. So let's go with I, it. Well, it's interesting. I, have, what do you know about yield curves? Oh, don't. So I, I am do, going. Do you to. want me to? You can't. I got to do it. You, no, I got to do no, it. No, please, uh, please do it. I, I'm only going to say that I, I find this thing silly, but, but uh, I may steal your thunder and/or annoy you or insult you. So go for it. You go first, and I will respond. Uh, you won't. You won't insult me. Um, go on. So there's this thing called the yield curve and it sounds very technical and complicated, but all it is is this, well, you plot out the rates attached to various bonds at different yep. maturities. Yep. So there'll be a three-month treasury. You know, this is an, these are IOUs. Let's just call them what they are. They're just yep. an IOU. Give yep. the government some money and they'll pay it back to you on a set date and they'll pay yep. you some interest along the way. It's called yep. a coupon payment. Uh, obviously, there's different maturities. So you can get three months. You can get all, like all kinds, all the way out to 30 years. In fact, yep. I think potentially even longer. And so the yield curve, a good healthy looking yield curve, goes up and to the right, mm-hmm. and that makes sense, right? So if I'm going to yes. if I'm going yes. to lend the government, and I'm we're talking about the government here because that's considered the risk free, it's the lowest, mm-hmm. it's the lowest risk bond, the lowest risk IOU that I can possibly have. Which makes sense, so by I- the way, just quickly, because if if you're if I'm lending money to you or to Woolworths or to Commonwealth Bank, they're probably I'm probably going to get paid back. If I lend it to the government. Yep. I'm, I'm more sure, I mean, the government could always fail, but I'm more sure to get paid back by the government than anybody else. Well, that's so the only reason it should be right. It's the only reason you don't get paid back is if they fail. Yes. Because they've got they've got the luxury that no one in the world does is, is that they can just print some more cash. Correct. Um, uh, so, so uh, and, and I, I would want a higher rate of interest for a 30-year than I would for a three-month because my money's tied up for 30 damn years. Right. Like I need, I need more compensation for that. Yeah. So anyway, so when and you hear it more and more, like at the moment we're hearing a bit about it, um, is is that the yield curve is inverted. So now we're in this really mm. perverse scenario where it's actually you're getting lower rates of return on the longer term bonds <laughs> yeah. than you are on the shorter term. Mm-hmm. So it's going, it's sort of sloping down. Now, why is that? That's a separate debate. But why it's interesting is that in the US at least, every time mm. that has happened, there's been a recession. Every time. Well, on the yes. T- on, on the two and ten year, so it's one of those scenarios. Wait, let me let me clarify that. Yeah. I think every recession has been preceded by a yield curve inversion. Not every single yield curve inversion has resulted in a recession. Can I say I think it's the other way around? Oh, is it? If I got there that been, wrong, there have been more recessions than yield curve inversions. 
Oh, on, okay, on sorry. The four, right. On the four or right. five times in the last century-ish, there's been a yield curve version. There had been, there had been a recession every time. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's what it is. Yes. And you can and there's different yield curves, right? Because some people will compare the two and ten year. Others, yeah. you know, so you get yeah. you get all down. Yeah. You know, yeah. Different people have different. Can, can I tell you my, my first issue with that is the sample size is incredibly small. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like tossing five coins and getting heads, five heads in a row, and saying, "Well, of course, the next one's going to be heads as well," because it's been heads the last five times. Uh, yeah. My other issue with that is two years ago we had an inverted yield curve. Yeah. Dot, dot, well, here's dot. the other thing. Even when you <laughs> even when you look at the the previous ones which yeah. preceded recessions, it wasn't like it inverted and then the next day there was a recession. In fact, it can take up to two. It took up to right. sort of two years. So the pre, right. the preceding event sort of did well. It did precede it, but it yeah. did, it wasn't an immediate. <laughs> yeah, thing. That's right. Exactly. So yeah, yeah no. Yeah. So why am I saying all of this? One, because it's interesting, and if you're, yeah, if you're following financial news, you'll 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 kind of see this stuff. Yeah. And why would it? Why would that happen? It's just like well, basically, when when people are, are really scared, bond mm-hmm. traders mm-hmm. who are these great profits of, of the economy that we all trust. And that's like when people, when Alan Kohler on the news says, you know, the market thinks the interest are implying yeah. this much yield, it's, a, yeah. it's all based on what bond traders are doing. Yeah. Uh, these, these are sort of macro macro people who look at all that kind of stuff. And they're basically, it's a supply and demand thing, right? Mm, so they're mm, basically, mm. they're uh, selling their uh, shorter term bonds. They don't yep. want them because I'm worried that no one's going to pay them yeah. back, which yeah. pushes up the yield. And they're buying the uh, the longer term ones, mm-hmm. which is going to push down the yield. So it's it's sort of like it's the, the bond traders are moving money around in the expectation mm-hmm. that I am worried about the short term, and that's how you sort of ra- that's that's sort of the well, why does that mean that there's going to be a recession? Why do why do people think there's going to be a recession? But anyway, I just thought we were on interest rates. I thought maybe I, I'll just throw this into the ring because the yield curve, not in Australia but in the US, has has just inverted, yeah. and uh, and and uh, it's it's noteworthy. I love it. You know what's important too? It's important because people will hear it elsewhere and yep. we try and give our view on, on all things markets and, and economics and, and investing sometimes. <laughs> we get there after we finish the macro. Um, but it's important, right? Because it, it, again, I'll go back to temper and I'll go back to confidence. I'll go back to sentiment. I'll go back to the way we approach investing is there are people who will say, oh my God, the AFR says this is going to happen or might happen or is happening and so therefore I should do something. Uh, and remember all the predictions that don't come true. Remember all the economic indicators that don't precede something else. Uh, remember things like the Santa Claus rally, which used to be the January effect, which will soon become the November effect, will be cut the Cup Day rally or something, um, mm. because people do take actions on these things and, and they are reported on. And so, frankly, not a lot of the reporting, well, I should say, yeah, I can say that. Not a lot of the reporting is, uh, is particularly insightful. It's all what in politics they call race calling. Right, they don't talk about the issues. They talk about who's winning, who's leading, who, or what's going on, what's getting the headlines. Um, they're often different things. To actually, what are the what are the policies that matter in a political sense, in economics and finance? It's like okay, well, so and so made these outlandish claims. So I've got reported, but what does that really mean? And that's what we try and break down for you here at Motley Fool Money, mate. Yeah. Um, speaking of breaking down, how badly have stars compliance processes allegedly broken down? Uh, it's it, it's been a did they, a, did they break or, well, or, were, alleged, or were they just we not allegedly just, just say allegedly a few times for me because allegedly, allegedly, allegedly when they play it yeah. back in court we'll say, see we said allegedly um, <laughs> we've, I think we've, this is the third week in a row we've talked about it it might well be um, this week this week apparently there was evidence given allegedly that Star may have shredded some important paperwork. And allegedly, the evidence was given that Star had provided a letter to the Bank of China that some money being transferred was the 
proceeds of gambling wins, which allegedly weren't. Hmm. And I am, I know we talked about last week and I know your views on casinos and our listeners know them and, and you're being proven more right by the day. But I am just flabbergasted at how, you know what, here's the thing. I don't think the people who were party to this stood to get a backhander from anybody or stood to gain personally from much more than just being good soldiers and doing the company thing to help things. I'm sure they probably get a bonus for getting a certain number across the line or keeping a customer happy or something. But it just goes to remind me that for all of the, there's a lot of people out there who will say capitalists are out to kill us all and eat us all and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And mm. some are. The vast bulk try to do the right thing, but the combination of kind of like institutional capture and the culture and expectations and the kind of idea of that creeping idea of what's right and wrong just strikes me as amazing. You know, I've said before, if I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail for stealing $10 million, not $10,000. Because you know what? I like my freedom too much and the bet's going to be worth it if I'm going to do some of this stuff. Mm. Someone at Star allegedly shredded some paperwork that otherwise shouldn't have been shredded. Someone at Star wrote a letter to a bank on behalf of a customer saying, this is the proceeds of gambling, which just absolutely weren't. At worst, it's probably perjury. Um, it's probably not that. It's probably less than that because it probably wasn't covered by a uh, legal force like a stat deck. But at what point do you cross that line from person who is trying to do their best to grow the business and, and you know, keep within the lines and, and you push a little bit further, push a little bit further, then you start writing allegedly fraudulent letters on behalf of your employer, not, there's no, they're, not, they're not making, there's no, there's no million dollars here. There's no $10 million kickback. There's no house in the Bahamas. They're literally saying, all right, Mr. Jones, I'll write this letter for you and tell the Bank of China that it, this was gambling. I, I don't know, mate. Am, am I, have I been living a too sheltered a life? I, there's lines everywhere where, where you do or don't do things. This one's a pretty big line to cross for relatively little personal gain in theory, surely. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure there was pressures allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, there's, there's there's incentives and pressures and stuff yeah. to play. Yeah, you know there is, and whether it was in, 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 uh, explicit or or not, it's right. kind of pe- people aren't that silly, right? Someone's yeah, doing yeah. it because they feel as though that their job was at stake, or yeah, it's kind of those things. No one's going to turn, no manager's going to turn around and say, "Look, if you don't do this." Uh, we're going to yeah. fire you. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, maybe that's the unspoken understanding. Yeah. And geez, you know that, that that person goes back to their partner in, at night and go, oh, geez, I really feel as though yeah. Bob wants me to do this, and I just don't feel comfortable. Yeah. But geez, yeah. if I don't, am I going to get bonus or does someone else get? You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's horrible. Um, I, I really, I really one one. It just boggles my mind that mm. the people over at Star can be looking at what happened with Crown. Yeah, and someone didn't go. Hey, maybe we should have a closer look at things here. Yeah, yeah. Because this is this is existential risk, right? Yeah, it really is. Your license gets taken away. You, your uh-huh. your raison d'être. You just yeah. simply can't operate anymore. You so close the gaming like, tables down and run a couple of restaurants in a hotel. No one's coming. No, it, you know, it's sort of like so. It's kind of like mm. it, I mm. I have to say it goes all the way to the top. Even if the CEO is completely in the dark, that's mm. too bad. That's mm. that is your job yeah. to make sure that you're across this and that that, that yeah. everyone is very very clear mm-hmm. on what needs to be to be done. Mm. This is the trouble. It's a classic moral hazard. Here's 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 the calculus. Turn a blind eye. Don't tell me. I don't want to know what I don't want to know. <laughs> Uh, we'll go wake a squillion dollars. Mm. Worst case scenario, I resign in, in shame. 
Yeah. And really not that much shame because everyone's forgotten <laughs> about it two weeks later. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I'm going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or so, so where's, where's the incentive not to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the wrong thing? Yeah. Right. Now, to get those that, levels right. You know, I just, I feel as though you, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be on this obscene level of pay with mm. obscene bonuses mm. running an organization that just, just frank, frankly, without mincing my words and without any hyperbole, destroys Allegedly. families. Allegedly. It does. I mean, look, let's call a spade. I won't even put allegedly, and there's been so <laughs> many studies and research done. I mean, the amount of people who's, Live. It's not the person who likes a bit of a fly, I do too. I like a bit of blackjack or whatever. It's a bit of fun, you know, throw 50 just, bucks. Dane for our legal team, Andrew, is knows no bounds, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I appreciate your point. But do you know what I mean? I, I just, yeah, I don't know at what point we can just start saying objectively this yep. is true, right? Yep. And, and, and then and, uh, worst, worst case scenario I do that for a few years, make out like a bandit and just resign. And, um, and, 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 yeah. and look, that, that dude, I won't mention him by name, but he'll show up Thank on you. a board or two in, <laughs> in a year. You know, he'll be fine. He will yeah. be absolutely fine. Yep. So why wouldn't you do the wrong thing? Yep. So it's kind of like on one hand, I really blame these 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 people for, for not having any scruples. On the mm. other hand, I blame ourselves and our politicians. We set mm. the laws. Mm. You know, like get, get, we, we, we give them no good reason not to do it. Mm. I would throw them in jail. <laughs> Frankly, I, I would I would put I would put the threat out there, yeah. and you watch. So you know when you're ever reading a remuneration or a, an annual report, mm. there's a lot, lots and lots of pages, particularly in mining company, dedicated to occupational health and safety and yeah, all this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Because a few years back, well, more than a few years back, they 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 made that an obligation, and the, the boards mm. were culpable for these things. Guess what happened? They started taking it really, really, really seriously. So until that's the case, why would I take it seriously, right? We we need we need rules in place. You know, people in these very powerful positions and extremely well paid positions probably deserve really great pay and all the rewards and spoils that come with that when yeah. they're doing wonderful yeah. things for for their stakeholders. But it can't just be all upside and no downside. I feel it comes with the territory. Turning, oh, it's really hard. And how was I meant to know? I was like, dude, don't take the job. Don't take the job. Go work at package shelves at Woolies if if you've got a problem with it. Um, but if you if you are going to have such incredible power and responsibility, yeah. then you know it's the Spider Man line with great great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> right? And it, it needs it needs to it yeah. needs to be something. I just think you know you can be hit with a, a limp bit of wet cardboard mm. um, or you can or you can have like you know the, the cat of nine tails you know which, which which one's going to incentivize you to do the right thing the the, the, the rails just aren't there you know rant I, I I agree I'm I'm less I'm less absolutist about it than you are unless there's probably um serious in terms of potential penalties in the sense that um you know Warren Buffett has said for example I employ 400,000 people at some point someone's doing the wrong thing uh, so, so you know, I, I don't think it can be it can be that black and white. But I think I think a reasonable, particularly in a regulated business, a reasonable level of probity and compliance and proactivity is not too much to ask. I think there's ways mm. of achieving that. I don't I don't think you can you can totally. jail a, jail a banker because of you know the, the lady at the local barrel branch decided to you know accidentally sell a product to someone who it was wrong for. And you say, well, that's the that's the CEO's fault. Uh, but processes mm. and systems, I think, can and should be put in place. Um, to to make it, um, uh, yeah. I, I think I think there's a there's a threshold, and it's hard, right? Because these are all grey areas. 
but there's a threshold above which it's reasonable for someone to to judge, maybe literally a judge to judge, uh, that you haven't done enough or taken seriously enough the potential issues that that exist. You haven't done enough to ferret them out, find them, resolve them, um, all that kind of stuff. It, it kind of has to. Here's yeah. the other thing, right? Not only do we pay people too much money to care about the, the bad stuff, I think. We also tend to pay people, and this is kind of, it gets philosophical very quickly, I won't spend too long on this, but the more we pay people to do their jobs and the less, and, and the more indebted, for example, we are as a society, let's not go to house prices too much, but just a, just a tangent, just a bypass, look out the window as we drive past, you can see it there. Um, the cost of being a whistleblower also continues to rise. Mm. So if you think about the whistleblowers over the last I uh, think about parliament, think about banks, I um, think about one particular CBA whistleblower um, whose careers are effectively ended by doing it. Right? For telling so the, the truth. For telling right, the truth. Right, And so the cost of that in terms of career cost, but literal cost. Right? If, if we've got, imagine you've got a, you're, you're, a, you're a Sydney house buyer, you've got a million dollar mortgage and you see something. And it's kind of like every moral fibre in your being says, I need to say something about that. The other one's like, well, I don't know where else I'm going to get a job if I'm seen as a troublemaker and a whistleblower and I've got to pay the mortgage and I've got to put the kids through school and, and whatever, whatever. Mm. Really easy to say morally, of course you should do the right thing. And of course you should say the right thing. A lot of people do. But the cost of that is enormous. Such brave people. Yeah, right. Because and it is, where's the upside? Where, no one, no one, you you would imagine not. that society at large goes, oh, thank you yep, yep, for yep. exposing this corruption and fraud. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for that. Yes, this, yes. This, this rich and powerful person. Probably yep. a man has done this horrible thing, <laughs> and you have you have yep. uh, educated us yep. on the ill of their ways. Correct. No, it's like you'll never work here again. Correct. Correct. And so that's you know I, I think it's both both those things, right? It's it's, it's never been more um, uh, there's never been more incentive because of the multi million dollar pay packets to turn a blind eye, and there's probably never been less. I said less reason to say something, but there's never been. It's, it's, yeah, the, the the fall the fall from where you are now has never been greater to expose that stuff and to actually do the right thing. Uh, whoever you are, right? And I think that's that's a problem. I don't know how you fix it necessarily, but uh, it's an issue. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mike, Tom, let's let's go to Magellan. Now we don't talk about fund managers all that much. I really like fund managers as a business model. Um, and I like it for reasons that we might talk about um, as we as we kind of keep going. But Magellan this week um, has lost another one point one billion dollars in funds under management, and you know these are businesses. It's what we uh, we talk about operational leverage a lot. We talk about the idea of a little bit of growth at the top line, keep your costs in line, your bottom line explodes. And we've seen so many great examples of when you finally manage to turn a little bit of revenue growth into lots and lots of profit growth. And that's a wonderful place to be. We don't often talk about it. We don't often see that reverse, <laughs> the reverse impact of operating leverage where, I don't know if it's operating deleverage, can we call it that? I'm not sure. Um, but it just simply works in reverse. It's still leverage, right? Just leverage works both ways, um, as we know with borrowing. Um, that Magellan, who, again, has the same number of portfolio managers and marketing staff and HR professionals, all that kind of good stuff. Once money starts to leak away from Magellan and has, it just goes from a trickle to a river, to a flood. And they are losing more and more and more money I won't say daily because it's not daily and I don't want to over-egg it because I don't want to scare people or whatever, but they just keep losing funds under management. And this business that, uh, you know, was the high, it, it was the poster child 
for successful fund managers. I will claim a little bit of prescience, mate. I don't do this very often. Um, I did tweet something to the effect. Remember, I don't know if you, you're not a massive cricket fan or not as much as I am anyway. Magellan had naming rights for the Men's Ashes series out here a few years back. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting something like, if this is the top, you know, when, when a company takes naming rights for a, for a stadium or a sports series, it's often a sign that, you know, this is, this is the top. Um, I don't know if necessarily that was, that was true or pressure or just dumb luck. I'm pretty sure it's dumb luck. Um, this is a company, mate, whose shares only less than seven, nine months ago, $56 each. Now, as we record this, $17.27, having been as low as 14 bucks, And seven months, lost a heap of funds under management, lost a CEO. Um, I don't even know what my question is, mate. I, I don't know if this is the exception that proves the rule, if this is the cautionary tale or this is the don't focus on this too much because the other fund managers are completely fine and the market's going to go up over time. I don't know if this is, hey, this is a massive buying opportunity. The shares are down by 75%, man, fill your boots. Or if it's mm. the, it was always too expensive at 60, just be careful. Um, so I guess I'm just outright, I'll just ask you the question. What do you make of, of the Magellan saga of so much money being lost, so much going on over the last nine months that we find ourselves here with the shares down 75%? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess one, it's a very good reminder that, that you know every people hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I don't I don't think anyone could have seen the exact <laughs> circumstances coming and how it would have played out. Uh, so it doesn't matter how great it was. You just you just don't yeah. you don't concentrate everything yeah. into the one basket because the best basket in the world can catch <laughs> on fire, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's always worth remembering. And it's mm. good when examples like this come along. And credit where it's due. It's been mm. a wonderful creator of wealth for shareholders yeah. for yeah. so many years. Uh, done a spectacularly good job, and not just because the share price is up, because underneath that they're actually making a lot of money in their investments. They're doing mm. a really good job. Mm. Mm. Um, and as we've spoken about uh, regularly, the, the best investors in the world always have periods of underperformance and make a few mistakes. It's just, it's the nature mm. of the beast. You know, Bradman got out for a duck. If you want to use yeah. a cricket analogy, was yeah. he a terrible cricket player? Apparently not, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he, 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 yep. he, had, he had some bad innings. And, and it's, the, it's the same for, for, for these mm. for, mm. for this mm. kind of industry. So um, it, it does, another thing that it reminds me of is what they call a key person risk. Yeah. So when you have when you have a business whose um, success or otherwise depends very heavily on one or two key individuals, mm. it's just a risk mm. because mm. they could they could get wiped out by a proverbial bus tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't predict that that kind of stuff. So you want you want institutions mm. where it's kind of the the strength, the competitive edge is sort of baked into the culture. We've talked about Berkshire and Charlie and, and Warren mm. recently. Mm. Um, uh, and that's the real question here. Has have you know Hamish no longer around? But uh, what's what's the culture like? What what are the lieutenants like? Are they just as capable? In which case, it's probably a phenomenal buying opportunity. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, you you always need to be wary when when it's it, you know I dare say if if Elon you know, got hit by a, a stray rocket uh, that didn't land properly. You know, he's, Tesla's going yeah. – is a totally different business. Yeah. So it's just, again, you can't, you can't predict these things, but you can be aware of them and, 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 and key man yeah. risk, things like operating leverage, you know, things like concentration. They're all, they're all just worthwhile reminders, I think, in this, in this example. We are going to go to some of those traits of great businesses, Andrew, in the next couple of weeks, which you've given a yes. lovely little preview for. Um, 
Stay tuned. We're doing a lot of promos here. Stay tuned for the next couple of weeks with the episodes. I'm going on leave as of tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. Um, oh, sorry, now actually, when you're listening to this, I'm uh, driving already, hopefully, as long as the bloody weather goes away. Driving or, or, um, or, or rowing. Oh, yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. Um, oh, put put floats around the outside of the car. Could be one of those, what do they call those things? The, the duck things that are submersible and kind of what, anyway. Moving oh, yeah, on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you? So we are talking about that. So yeah, next couple of weeks, uh, make sure you stay tuned for some traits of great businesses. Really, really fun chat. Again, we've pre-recorded them, so I know they're great. Um, how do you think about those things? So I mean, if Elon gets hit by a rocket, all bets are off. Mm. But if I thought that five years ago, I missed out on a ten bag return. Magellan, yeah. you know, is is down a lot from its highs, uh, and he says uh, stalling for time while he desperately uh, puts up looks up the <laughs> the link so I can work out what it looks like. But I dare say over the long like with long year, okay, here you go, 10 years, right? 10 years ago, shares were $2 each. So mm. it's a seven bagger, even after a 75% fall over 10 years. Yeah. Both of those circumstances would say, hey, don't sweat key man risk, invest in key men, or we should say women, of course, we should say key person risk. I think you did actually. I called it key man risk. Um, key person Get risk. Get with the time, Scott. I, sorry, I'm, yeah, way, terribly old-fashioned. Um, I mean, you know, do, do, do you embrace that and say, you know what, if I can find, if I can find half a dozen key people, and one or two of them blow up, I'm still going to do really, really well. Um, operating leverage, do you say, well, for every Magellan, there's a insert company here. Um, how do you think about that sort of, you know, did Buffett himself, I guess. I mean, did Buffett dies in 1967 in a horrible car accident. Berkshire doesn't exist. Um, mm. how, how, do you, how do you think about that? How do you put that into your calculations? I think you, a couple of ones. I think just being aware of it. Is, you often mm. think that once it happens, it's too late. Yeah, now, that's true. Do you know what was interesting? Magellan's a good example. I mean, mm, things mm. started to really sort of come apart a while mm. ago and you would have sold sort of well below recent highs but yeah. well above where it is at the moment. <laughs> you'd be, that's right. You'd be surprised how quickly – and I'm not saying you – again, let me be very crystal clear. I'm not saying you're selling because the share price is falling. Mm, We've talked mm, about mm. the stupidity of doing that. Yeah. But when, when you have previously identified that, hey, here's just one of the risks of this business <laughs> and, yeah. oh – oh, actually this risk looks like it's going to be realised. Now the market yep. reacted really quickly, really yep. quickly when that yep. started to happen. Um, so yeah, it's it's not as though you could have pre, 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 uh, uh, predicted it and then and then acted before it mm, happened. Mm, mm. But you, you'd be surprised how quickly you can act. You still got, even if you'd acted over, the, it took two weeks to think about it and then acted, mm. you're still much better off than you are today. Mm. So I think I think that's that's one way to think of it. The other way to think of it is in reverse. When, when, the market really gets its knickers in a knot and falls mm. away and you're actually very overtly aware of some of these things you can say well okay i was always i was always i was always it was always known to me this is a business that has a lot of operating leverage mm. and mm. because of this worldwide pandemic or a global recession or something that's really got nothing to do with the actual business itself yeah, yeah it's been absolutely taken to the cleaners yeah. but the same people operating it the same yeah. competitive dynamics at play and this could actually this, this this is not an existential risk that they never come back from. Balance sheets in good shape, you know they're still they're still uh, uh, operating cash flow positive. All of these kinds of things. I, I I think that's when thing bad things can happen, and bad things will happen. Um, but it's it's a question of of being able to determine whether or not they they are structural and permanent or cyclical yeah. and temporary. And that's a great thing. I mean, I've said before, it's like, you know, 
next recession, I wouldn't mind buying a a, a, a retailer because yeah, it's going to get right. smashed. Usually, not that's the right. kind of place I focus on, but yeah. you know, what a great opportunity that that will yeah. will the share price go down? Yep, a lot. Will I probably <laughs> buy some? Yep, and then will it continue to go down? Probably. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. But but again, I also know that nothing has changed in terms of the structural mm. dynamics mm. of of the business, and yeah. and that that it will come out the other side. So I think. To answer, it's a long ramble here, but to answer your question, it's just really going in eyes wide open. What can go wrong? What does it mean if it does? What's my playbook in in that scenario? Rather than trying to sort of make it up as you go and figure it out on the fly, which is always a bad idea. So is Magellan structurally broken or is it a retailer in the midst of COVID? I feel as though in this instance... I, well, so I'm not close enough to the business, and mm-hmm. I don't know what the other what the wider investment team is like. I, I suspect that Hamish has probably done a good job in in setting the culture, and mm-hmm. they've got some really smart, capable people there, and they'll probably go okay. okay. Um, but he's not there at the moment, and that that changes things. I mean, yeah. you know, it 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 does. So for for me, not knowing that answer, uh, I'd probably stay away. I also look. I'm I'm the I'm the least. Uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm not a subscriber at all to, to momentum in a lot of sort of ways in mm. terms of share mm. price, but I would I would say there is probably likely some momentum in terms of the fund flows because these things yeah. do feed on themselves. Yeah, they do. You know, so it's sort Everyone's of like taking their money out. I'm not going to leave my money there and lose more money, so I'm going to take it out. So someone else takes the money out and goes from there. And then other people will. Well, I'm not until it yeah. goes yeah. further. It's like everyone you hit that point of capitulation. So I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd yeah. probably want to see some. Stabilization in those fund flows. Okay. I have some confidence that the the people that remain are, are still very capable. Mm-hmm. I suspect that they probably are. Yeah. Um, and then I then I would be be tempted to do it. And and of course you're never going to know the answers to all of those mm-hmm. questions, which is why those three most important words always come back: margin of safety. You want an yeah. opportunity where it's like I can actually really underbake my my assumptions yeah. and still have a scenario where I'm likely to do reasonably well un, under those conditions because it's just it's just the the, the pendulum is how it marks like. To talk about has just swung mm-hmm. too far from over overly optimistic to overly pessimistic, but for me, why, not no. now. Yeah, that's just me. That's just me, and, okay. that's, and that's largely a function of not being close enough to it, and not not having the due diligence to 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 rest on. I like the last bit of your answer, which is pretty much just completely just taking the legs out from under my next question. So thank you for doing that. Because I was gonna, I was gonna say I completely agree with you. Although I have been tempted to buy Magellan or recommend Magellan to our members because. I am mindful that I take your point about the momentum of the business, and I think you're absolutely right to ignore share price momentum, but business momentum is important. On mm. the flip side, if we again go back to COVID, there are those investors I've talked about before who said, I'll wait till COVID's over, then I'll start investing. You know, yeah. and that and that has been a monumental, monumental mistake. Mm. Because the market looked forward and said, We see better times ahead. We don't know when they're mm. coming, but we'll start bidding share prices up already. Mm-hmm. And so we got back to pre-COVID levels or almost pre-COVID levels. I don't really know what the numbers are now. I don't follow it that closely, funnily enough. Um, it's always funny when I do media, people say, oh, what do you think of so-and-so? I was like, I don't know. I don't, don't follow it that closely. So, but aren't you, yeah, I'm an investor. But don't, don't you? No, I don't. Why? You're not an expert not on 2,200 companies? And- well, that's not that. It's just, it's just those little silly movements, like how much is the market up or down versus some past period that somehow it needs to matter. It's like, you know, I just don't know. I don't remember. Nonsense. Lots of people have memorized the highs and lows. Like your Lord's peaked at this point and then that low was that point. They just have memorized these numbers like they matter. It's like, it just doesn't matter. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, waiting until the end of COVID was a stupid mistake, at least in hindsight. Again, we can argue about whether it was luck or good management or bad management in this case. Um, 
do, do we run the risk? You know, by the time Magellan's fund flows turn around, has the share price gone back up from 17 to $30? I mean, is, is the time to buy exactly now where you kind of think, well, I don't know, I don't know what the future looks like, but, but I don't, on balance, it's probably worth buying. Maybe. I, I don't lose <laughs> any – every day I miss a massive opportunity. I mean, as I said, there's literally, if you want to go global, there's, there's mm. tens of thousands, if not hundreds <laughs> of thousands of – every yep. day somewhere yep. in the world there is some screaming buy opportunity right, that I right, just right. don't notice or I'm not aware of. <laughs> I, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I can never lose money by not investing in something. Mm. You know, there's opportunity costs and all the rest of it, but I feel as though what you really need to do as an investor is is – is just focus on the ones where you can have some kind of conviction. So I can yeah. look at this one and go, I just, I'm not sure. And that's okay. It's mm, okay mm, to say, mm. I don't know. You know, maybe I, I, wanna, I'm, I really believe this. I really think you get one or two good investment ideas a year mm. if you're lucky. Mm. And a lot of, and, and that's, that's not just because, I mean, as I say, there's a lot more that are out there, but ones yeah. that you can really get yeah, a handle yeah. on and go, ah, I get this. I feel as though I'm seeing something or I'm paying attention to something that a lot of other people aren't or are distracted by other, you know, secondary kind of factors. It's really, really, really rare. So I hear your point. Yes. Will I regret it? No, I won't. Because, you know, whether it's $2 next year or it's $60 next year, it's, it, I, I don't feel as though I was ever in a position where I could have, me personally felt as though that I could have known that. There'll be other people listening who actually have followed this story really closely for years, mm-hmm. know the business intimately well, and they will say, I think X. And, and to them, I would say, great, you should definitely do something about yeah, yeah, do that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there'll be companies that I'm holding in my portfolio they've never heard of before. And again, yes. I might say, oh, look, you missed a chance. So what? So what? Nice, nice. It's, and you talk about the media, you know, mm. it, that is what kills me about it. It's just mm. this idea that if you work in this space, you must have a well-considered deep dive <laughs> understanding of everything <laughs> in financial markets. Exactly. You know, it's the, the person who, by the way, the person who does have a confident answer on all of these things, mm. run a mile, right? Because yeah, right. no one is that smart. Yeah. No one is that well-informed. No one's got that much bandwidth. Present company excluded, of course. Uh, yeah, but I just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's just, is a really liberating um, mm-hmm. idea. And and it, it's going to be the case for a lot of them. So, yeah, if, if you might you might have an inkling, and you might think I think this, in which yeah. might that might prompt you to do a little bit more due diligence and a little bit yeah. more work, and that might get you across the line, in which great, but don't force it. As soon as you yeah. start forcing things, yeah. you get yourself into trouble. Yeah, I like it. I like it, mate. Um, let's just finish off uh, with a quick one. Um, Virtus Health, uh, IVF assisted reproduction provider, is in the middle of a takeover bid, a takeover battle, I should say. Uh, two different private equity moms want to buy shares. In fact, I want to buy the company. And if you're a seller, you always want an auction <laughs> rather than just one buyer, right? Because like, yeah. you want money or don't, don't you? Is different to these two guys are fighting each other for your uh, for your business. That that's a great place to be. Um, we talked about takeovers a little bit in the past, but it's a really interesting time for most shareholders who don't normally go through too many of these in an investing career because you don't have that many. There's not many takeovers in general. If you have mm. one every Five years, you're probably lucky, I suppose, being on what you invest in and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, as a shareholder, either a Virtus or just in general, how do you think about takeovers and how do you think a, a, an investor should play the takeover game? If you're, uh, if you're a shareholder or something being taken over, what do you do? Uh, the last one I was involved in was a little tiny, tiny, tiny company no one ever would have heard of called Dragontail, which had some really cool software helping that. Uh, hmm. uh, uh, fast food delivery hmm. stuff. Really cool. 
And they got taken over and I was and they got taken over at a big premium and I was really upset about it, <laughs> even though I made some money on it. Because yeah, yeah. I felt as though it was it was taken over at a price that fundamentally undervalued the business. I would have preferred nice. the CEO go get stuffed. No. Yeah. I mean maybe didn't have the choice because enough <laughs> shareholders voted in favor of it. Yeah, that was but, it, right? Yeah. But that so so to answer your question as as always with this mm. field is it depends. Mm. So it feels <laughs> nice because the the share generally to 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 uh, to execute it you you've got to offer a, a mm. bit of a sweetener. So mm. shares are at x on the market, you have to offer x plus y to to sort of get it over the line. It feels nice. It feels like a bit of mm. a win and you see this mm. sort of jump up in price. Um, it could be wonderful if if that actually represents a premium on what you think the business is worth. But if it's not, yeah. it's it's actually a terrible thing. Yeah. So that's, that's the first thing to say. The other thing is to say is that I think once, let's assume that you actually feel as though it is a pretty reasonable price. Well, you know, we're never going to know the fair price exactly, mm. but it's been the ballpark. Um, I generally the kind of person who just sell on market. I mean, yeah. let, let, let's say that Virtus, I, I think the last take, the bid was at, at eight bucks, mm-hmm. right? And let's say the shares were at $7.50. Now I've got, it's the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. Mm. I can get my money today. Yes. Guarantee, <laughs> or yep. or I can wait. Yeah, maybe get ten cents extra. Maybe get mm. a little bit more extra if another bid comes along, or maybe the whole thing falls. The Virtus shares were trading at uh, what five bucks before this takeover shenanigans started happening. Mm. Mm. So if this all collapses, guess where the shares are going? You know, right back <laughs> to five bucks. I would right. imagine, or very close to it. That's so right. I often talk about asymmetry. So mm. so people get into these silly things of like, oh, I might get a couple cents extra if it goes through. Yes, true. Mm. So a little bit more if you're right, and a massive amount of downside if you're wrong. Yeah. Plus, I have to wait for forever for the cash to actually land in my bank account. Mm. You know, just sell it on market is is my general um, uh, thinking. This one's interesting with Virtus because the, the market price is currently eight fifteen, mm. above what the bidder has has put forward. So basically, the market's saying, "No, oh, there's going to be another bid. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. I don't know." Mm. But Jim, mm. I'd be look personally. Uh, <laughs> I've got to be careful here because someone uh, who's yeah. followed this story will go, "Oh yes, that sounds super smart, Andrew." But I could have done that at seven dollars when the first bid has come. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. And now it's eight fifteen. Yep. And you know, it's yep. like. But it's in in most cases it's picking pennies up in front of steamrollers, mm-hmm. and I feel as though all of this effort and work could just be spent on on finding another really great investment opportunity, taking your money out and putting it there, rather than just trying to get a little bit extra. I think people make a lot of dumb dumb decisions around around these kinds of things, trying to Chase squeeze that extra bit of points. drop yeah. of blood out of the yeah, stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, great way to finish, mate. I I completely agree with you. By the way, I'm I'm I tend to actually let a takeover run a little bit, um, but don't wait till completion. So I kind of, generally speaking, with uh, and we actually did recommend Furtis, funnily enough, and we did actually also recommend members sell before the last lot of bids came in. So we're somewhere in between your example. We didn't take the first bid. Uh, we didn't hang around for the last bid. Uh, we kind of let the bids come in. And I tend to, now we've, I've been hurt by that before. BWX is a great example of a business that was going to be taken over by management. Shares jumped mm. up. We mm. said, okay, we'll wait and see. And they walked away and shares went down again. We're like, oh, missed that opportunity. Mm. So there are, there are examples of both. I'm not, not just saying I'm a genius with Virtus. Um, but I generally tend to, I tend to wait the first bid come in. It's normally a couple of months anyway. Generally speaking, um, it either goes ahead or the market is excited enough to say, hey, there's something here we'll, we'll have. We think the company's worth more or, or we recognise other people think it's worth more and that can be useful. Um, mm. So I generally let the first bid come in. I normally wait a period of time, weeks or a month maybe, 
see if anything else happens. If nothing else happens, I'm with you. I take that and say, okay, we're, we're probably done here. Um, mm. Let's not give it enough time so that the, the bitter walks away. Um, mm. But let's not run so quickly and so fast that you, you lose any potential for a second counter bid to come in. Um, so somewhere in, somewhere in between there is how I generally tend to play it. Uh, but I'm with you. I'm not going to wait till the last drop of blood. It's a, it's a crazy strategy because the upside just isn't enough compared to the downside of risk. No, and, and and pay attention to the words that are used because there are bids and there are bids. <laughs> yeah. And what you hear, what you see a lot of these days yep. are the non-binding, conditional, uh, conditional <laughs> uh, indicative, uh, indicative. Yes, uh, you yes. know, they, they choose your prefix. There's like twelve prefixes in front of the word takeover, <laughs> which basically means it's or not no responsibility. There, yeah. there is there is nothing concrete or guaranteed yeah. in in all of this. And as they well. still can what turn it, to real things, by the way. It doesn't mean you should ignore oh, yeah. them or pretend that or believe that they're they're. Dodging. They're not dodgy. They're just yeah. there's a big, big gap between the two things. It's often a way to get uh, to get into what they call the data room, which is a really cool yeah. sounding thing. But Isn't it's really it? just a room where you get access <laughs> yeah, to all the books and the inside <laughs> information. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you sort of launch a bid. It's all non-binding, yep. conditional, yep. indicative. Ra 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 ra. We get in. We look at it all and go, "Whoa, there's some skeletons in this closet." No thanks, mm-hmm. and they walk mm-hmm. away. Um, and they can because it's non-binding, conditional, indicative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm-hmm. that's very different. Very, very, very different to. To, to uh, ones that doesn't have those prefix. The other thing that's very interesting <laughs> as well is when you when you have uh, a management team that is very hostile mm. to that. That's going to be a much harder yes, thing. Look, true, true, look, true. look at AGL, right? And, yes. and good old yep. Mark Cannon yep. Brooks. And or a board, um, by the way. Do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah, it's like when they yeah. say, "No, no, 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 we don't want you to do that." It's like that doesn't mean that the the, the take the the bidder can can't get it over the line. They can yep. they can absolutely do a hostile takeover, but yep. it's it's much better when the board goes. Actually, we see this as a really good deal right. for you yeah, guys, exactly. and we're going to support exactly. this, and we're going to recommend you take it. They're totally, mm-hmm. totally different things. So you know, yeah, yep. again, it depends. Perfect. Shall we come back on Sunday? You bet. Beautiful. I'll look forward 100%. to it. By the way, we have a listener who's taking a bit of um, bit of exception to the way you sign off on your podcast or our podcast. What way? What way? I'll tell you later. In the meantime, full on. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, bye. <laughs> the Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691. Listener.